Hi, everybody. If you enjoy Actuality, we would love it if you would subscribe to it and also leave us reviews. Positively. That helps us feel good about coming to work each day. <laughs> should we say on iTunes? Oh, yeah. You should do those <laughs> reviews on iTunes. Professionals. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm Sabri Beneshore from Marketplace. And I'm Tim Fernholtz from Quartz. And this is Actuality. What you're asking can't be done. If it could be done, it shouldn't be done. But it can't be done. This is a futile effort. It can't be done, obviously. Each episode this season, we are fighting a story of something they said could never be done. This week, soccer. One of many sports that I know absolutely nothing about. But... Even I know, as a soccer ignoramus, that it is a big deal, especially this summer. Indeed, one recent issue of Sports Illustrated sported Lionel Messi, the Argentine soccer star, on the cover. It was not reviewed well by everyone. The guy on the cover is Lionel Messi. And look out, America, he's going to emblazon America. Where is he going to emblazon America this summer? Exactly where? Where is he going to, without question, just take over America? I know absolutely zero about soccer, and that's more than I want to know. What did we just listen to? Well, that is the guy who says this can never be done. That is Mike Francesa. He's a New York sports radio personality, the titular Mike of Mike and the Mad Dog. He's 62 years old. Yeah, the, a voice from the past. How about how about a, a modern millennial born in 1992 voice? Here's Crystal Dunn. She's a soccer player on the U.S. women's national team. She's the reigning MVP of the National Women's Soccer League. Um, I see soccer growing every single year, and Americans are now becoming more aware of soccer as a sport. We're going to hear more from Crystal in a bit, but uh, you know what? The evidence is on Crystal's side. Sports Illustrated called this the summer of soccer for a reason. That's because we have, either happening in the U.S. or on U.S. TV, one. The Copa America, Centenario, the 100th anniversary of this South American soccer tournament happening in the U.S. with the U.S. team playing. Two, 2016 European National Championships. Huge deal in Europe, all over TV here in the United States. That's on ESPN. Three, Three. the Olympics. That's the, Olympics. the one that I know about. That's the one Sabri knows about in Rio in August. The U.S. women's national team is on the warpath there. Plus, you have Major League Soccer, you have the National Women's Soccer League, and a plethora of international friendly matches from European clubs coming over here to get our dollars. Yeah, there's going to be hundreds and hundreds of hours of soccer TV in the U.S. <laughs> well, I'm celebrating just today, the day that this uh, podcast comes out. There are four major international games on U.S. TV at 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern. So I'm going to get my film. I'm, I'm uh, going to probably do something else, but I uh, cheer. <laughs> but have fun, too. <laughs> Just take joy in my gladness. Sabrina. I do. I do. Okay. I do. I do. Um, but if soccer really is a force this summer for Americans beyond just soccer dorks like me and soccer ignoramai like <laughs> Sabri, <laughs> uh, let's figure out why that is the case. So today, this very day, the U.S. is entering the quarterfinals of the Copa America, and a week ago, we talked to someone who's playing in it. This is Matt Beesler. He's a member of the U.S. national soccer team. He also plays in MLS for Sporting Kansas City. Matt, thanks for giving us a ring. Yeah, you're welcome. 
I want to talk to you a little bit about um, the fans of Sporting Kansas City. Um, it's one of probably the premier clubs in, in the league. Uh, you know, there's a 3,000-person wait list I saw for season tickets. And, and people always talk about how, you know, the U.S. needs to build a fan base. And it seems like that you guys have done that in Kansas City. What has your experience been like as a player when you walk around? Yeah, I mean, the transformation's incredible. I think it's definitely probably the the most successful transformation in in Major League Soccer. And I mean, you could probably argue that in in all of sports, too. You know, my rookie year, second year, I'd be out to pizza or something or or be walking around the plaza. I mean, nobody would know who you were. And now it's completely different. Now you can't even walk down the street. And, you know, people are wearing Sporting Kansas City scarves and sweatshirts and car decals all over the place. And and now when they, they come up to you, you know, it's, it's right away. It's like, hey, Matt, like, how you doing? Like, great game last Saturday. Uh, great play that you made, like, in the 60th minute. Like, I was watching. I was there. I was watching on TV. And I don't know. It's just everyone is is more interested. They're they're more involved, uh, and they're also I think probably more educated too. So it used to be that for an American soccer player to make it, they had to leave the U.S. and play in Europe. You didn't. Why not? When the opportunity kind of presented itself for me, the answer was staying here in Major League Soccer and and representing Sporting Kansas City. I believe that that was going to make me most successful as a as a player and, and as a person, and that's why I decided to stay over here. Did you, I wonder, see a similar change in as, as soccer became bigger and bigger? Did you see a similar change in your paycheck? Yeah, of course. The game is obviously growing. When did you look at your paycheck and say, whoa, uh, wow, something is going on in, in soccer world? It was, it was my second contract that I signed. Uh, it was a four-year contract. You know, that was kind of when I felt like, all right, I can make this work. I can be a professional athlete, a professional soccer player. Um, I can, you know, I can make a career out of it. And I'm sure that obviously, of course, had much to do with your performance. You're a great player, but uh, it also had to do with the growth of soccer. Why do you think it is, as a player, that soccer has become the great success that it is? It's on TV more, so people can watch. There's no more sponsorship opportunities. There's more fans. The, the quality on the field's getting better. You know, I think a, a big thing, too, is that you know, I'm, I'm 29 years old, and I feel like my generation was you know, the first generation to really grow up with the game. When I was four or five years old, every kid around me was playing soccer. So everyone knows the rules, and they know strategies, and they know, you know techniques. Um, and so they're, they're not intimidated by the game, maybe like you know, my parents and, you know, as my generation, you know, we're starting to have families now and we're, we're starting to pass it down to our kids. And I think that's a, a big, big factor in why, you know, sort of soccer in this country is, is starting to take off. Uh, well, in the meantime, we will wish you and the whole U.S. team a lot of luck at the Copa America and um, a lot of luck, too, with the sporting this season. Thank you very much. Good talking to you guys. Matt mentioned there's this, you know, generational transition happening in soccer. You know, his parents didn't get it, but now it's being passed on from generation to generation. Well, what's actually interesting is that 
he's a little bit wrong in that we we have had previous generations who are totally infatuated with soccer here in the US. It's true, and it happened uh, less than 100 years ago, actually. Just about 100 years ago, in the 1920s, there was a thriving U.S. soccer league called the American Soccer League. Uh, It was driven by immigration, immigrant workers coming to work in factories, and the factories would actually have their own teams, but it quickly became like an actual professional soccer sports thing, and even had Europeans complaining that their best players were going to America to work in factories and play on these soccer teams. Yeah, it's like, it's crazy. It's like the reverse of... of, of recently in the U.S. But it it all went away. Why? It's a reminder of how tenuous these things can be, but it's a matter of greed and bad timing. In 1928, the uh, organizers, the business figures behind the American Soccer League actually uh, got in a fight and split the league over money issues and who was going to have what money. Uh, it was bad timing to do this. The fans got disillusioned. The stock market crashed and it just sort of fell apart. And by the time the Great Depression and World War II had came and went, other sports like baseball and football had really seized the American psyche. Bummer for soccer fans. Yeah, bummer. Uh, And also a lesson, actually. I mean, one lesson of America's previous flirtation with soccer was that to make the sport work, we need the business of it to work. So whenever we're talking about a sport, we're usually talking about a professional sport. As much as I love the biathlon... Uh, one of my favorite Winter Olympic sports. There's a reason that professional biathletes are not super well-known, but professional basketball, football, and soccer players are. And that's because there's a lot of money behind those sports. And so if we want to understand how soccer became big in the U.S., we have to understand how money became a part of it, not just like FIFA corruption money, but also like honest-to-goodness sports business, putting butts in seats, getting eyeballs on TV revenue. And that's why we're going to talk to John Guppy. John Guppy is with Guilt Edge Soccer Marketing. It's a soccer marketing agency. Hey, John. Hey, guys. How's it going? Very good. How are you today? Doing great. Uh, John, people, even fans, like to joke that soccer is going to be America's sport of the future for the foreseeable future. Do you think they're wrong? Is soccer the sport of now? I think it's been the sport of now for a few years. I do think we hit that tipping point with the Brazil World Cup in 2014. I think it was appreciated as a mainstream sport by, you know, everybody that matters, you know, fans, media, the corporate world. This summer, we're going to see more of the same, Um, you know, and we're going to see, you know, another very exciting opportunity for people to get behind, you know, America, get behind the red, white and blue and, you know, be excited by this international tournament that's coming to the U.S. And your job as a as a marketer is to find soccer loving US consumers for advertisers when would you say that it became easier to do that <laughs> i've been pounding the pavements of corporate america for you know 25 years i mean i generally can remember in the early 90s where if we could get a company to take a meeting to talk about soccer, we would celebrate in the halls. Uh, (laughs) I can remember talking to people about this. Yeah, I can remember talking to people about this lady called Mia Hamm and people just staring at me with with blank stares. So Mm. that was soccer marketing in the early 90s. Those days are, are long gone. I don't think there are many companies out there that aren't intrigued by what soccer can potentially bring to the table as a passion point. That doesn't mean that everybody's going to jump on board with the sport as a solution. But I think there is pretty general recognition now that soccer has something 
that's valuable. And if it makes sense for a brand, maybe we should take a closer look. What do you think soccer's role will be in this kind of world of mega sports TV deals that we're now encountering? There's an insatiable appetite, I think, from the broadcast industry for, for live content. Um, I'll give you a com- couple of facts here. I mean, there was 2,855 soccer matches broadcast um, live in the United States, um, nationally available in 2015. So think about that for a second. That's a little less than eight games uh, every day on average. There were only 15 days in the entire calendar year where there was no soccer game broadcast. My fiance is aware of every single one of those. (laughs) (laughs) As is my wife and my entire family. Um, So I think, you know, in terms of supply, there is almost a limitless supply of of soccer content for broadcasters. You know, all the big TV players, both English language and Spanish language, are, you know, fighting for for rights. I mean, soccer is probably the most competitive rights market there is for, for sports here in the U.S. What does soccer need now to keep growing? I think soccer needs to continue to do what it's doing there's you know Kevin Payne who is a friend of mine who used to run DC United and and Toronto was was asked by a media reporter uh, a number of years ago you know what's the one thing that soccer needs to do to take itself to the next level in the in the US and his answer was the one thing we need to do is to stop looking for the one thing that we need to do we're on a natural trajectory of growth demographic changes in America are supporting the sport America's getting younger. It's getting more multicultural. You know, the female agenda is driving a revolution on the girls' side of the sport. Globalization is very real. Soccer is global. Um, MLS is well entrenched. We have stadiums built. We have billionaire owners. The national teams are developing. The pieces are all in play. We're finally investing money in player development. So the elements are all there. It's not about finding that one magic bullet. It's about continuing to, you know, invest and develop, I think, each and every one of the the many elements that drive the sport forward. Awesome. What is your big hope this summer? (laughs) I'd love to see uh, the U.S. win Copa America. Maybe that's uh, a little uh, ambitious, but I definitely would like to see the U.S. have a strong showing, get out of the group, um, have a successful run in the the knockout rounds, uh, and really play some attractive soccer. On the women's side of things, I mean, we all know how tremendous, you know, last summer was with the Women's World Cup. You know, hopefully the Olympics is going to be another great moment for uh, for the girls to shine as well. So it's very much about the national uh, narrative, as I said, this summer. And then once that's come and gone, we'll switch back into MLS playoffs and, and the launch of the European seasons in the fall. Well, thanks, John Guppy, owner of Gilt Edge Soccer Marketing. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. So John mentioned the women's team uh, in the Olympics this summer in August. And unlike a lot of other sports, soccer is one where the women have had as much, if not more success than the men and played a major role in pushing the sport among Americans. Crystal Dunn plays for the United States. She reached us while she was in a van on her way to a club game with her team, her pro team, the Washington Spirit. Hi, Crystal. Hi. Soccer is, you know, one of those rarer sports where women are as prominent as the men. Mm-hmm. Probably more so in the yeah, U.S. Yeah, more so. Yeah. Why do you think that is? You know, we live in a world where women are capable of playing the same sport as men and making a name for themselves. But I still feel like 
people feel the men's game is just way more entertaining and just the awareness isn't equivalent on both sides. And I just feel like, you know, with the women winning the World Cup last year, it definitely put women's soccer on a map. And I think, you know, we're heading in the right direction, but I still think that there is more to come. And I think it just comes from our games being played on TV more and, and those type of things. So obviously when the women won that World Cup in 1999, you know, it was on TV and people were aware of it. But a couple of years after that, it kind of like fell off the grid again. It's the awareness that needs to, you know, be more prominent in the women's game so that people can see us play on TV and actually match our faces with our names and see how we play. And they're going to have an opportunity to do that uh, in August at the Olympic Games. Uh, you just mentioned yeah. that we're coming off the big 2015 win. What is the sort of preparation like and the sort of mentality like in the locker room right now as you guys get ready for this next big tournament? Yeah, so obviously with the Olympics coming up, it's, it's going to be really, really exciting. I would say every game that we play, whether it's with our leagues or league teams or whether it's with the national team, that's preparation for the Olympics. Like That's our goal that we're all seeing right now. And it's just about getting better every day. And whether it's with your club team or whether it's with the national team, you know, that's where your focus needs to be. Some of your uh, teammates are now in a lawsuit, and your union is in a lawsuit with the U.S. Federation over the pay mm-hmm. going to the women's players versus the men's. I was just curious, what is your take on that issue? I think we were right in filing that lawsuit. I think I think it just raises a lot of questions as to you know how come we are treated in a certain way than the men, and I think you know we've worked hard for everything that we've gotten. You know, we've been super successful over the last basically decade of women's soccer and I feel like you know it was just a matter of us kind of being fed up in a sense and and taking a stand and whichever way that it goes I think we were right in in making this decision and hopefully it goes in our favor. Where do you see yourself and U.S. soccer in 10 years from now say? (laughs) 10 years from now. I know look look into Um, the future gaze into the crystal ball. (laughs) Yeah, um, obviously, if I'm still playing this game 10 years from now, I just hope that, you know, I'm leaving it all on the field like I'm doing basically now. You know, I'm relatively a younger player still, and I feel like I have so much more to give to this game. And I think it just starts from waking up every day and just wanting to get better. Hopefully, I see myself an Olympian, obviously, and winning a gold medal and, and those kind of things. But I know those things don't come easy, but it starts with just working hard and committing yourself to just getting better. And what about soccer as a whole, soccer in America? Where do you think that's going to be? Um, I see soccer growing every single year. It, the game's getting faster. There's more awareness um, of the sport. Like I said, all these games that are being held on TV now, um, I think the sport is definitely growing, especially for women's soccer. I mean, our league is doing so well. You know, we're adding teams basically every single year. And um, with more teams, there's going to be more people just involved in the sport and you know, I think it's a very bright future for women's soccer. Right on. Well, we'll awesome. be supporting you. Yay. Good luck. Yeah, thank yeah, good you. Luck. After listening to all this, we, I think, are left with two base questions, which is, to what extent has soccer actually made it? And then why? Why did it succeed in coming out of nowhere and becoming the behemoth that it is this summer? Uh, I think soccer has made it enough to the point where most soccer fans are not defensive about liking soccer, which is something I noticed in the aftermath of that Mike Francesa video. It's also made it to the point where people like Mike Francesa feel threatened by it. 
enough to complain so loudly. And I think that's a real good barometer. So even if, you know, complaints have been had about this Copa America, you know, not going as well as we would have expected, it's still a big deal. And there's just no getting around that it's part of the sports media landscape. Yeah. So why do we think that is? You know, we'll recap. I mean, one, you know, there's just the shifting U.S. demographic. Uh, Latinos and Hispanic people in this country want to connect with the global sport. Mm. Two, we got... You know, our generation, the children raised by soccer, soccer moms, moms. Yep. but also millennials in general are just more interested in the world and being global citizens. And that means if you want to talk about sports, talking about the world sport, soccer. Finally, I think that the money in it has been found, right? So live TV is one of the last strongholds of corporate profit for traditional media. And they, I think, are taking advantage of every every opportunity to broadcast it that they can. You know, the next thing to look for is the backlash to the soccer glut. Mm-hmm. I'll leave that to you. I'm just going to wallow in it like a pig in the mud. <laughs> well, mm. uh, well, I, I, uh, I, I'm going to spend this soccer, this summer of soccer. This soccer of summer. <laughs> I'm going to spend this summer of soccer drinking uh, by some sort of pool or other body of water. But I am very happy for everyone who will be spending it cheering the touchdowns and the goals. We're going to get the you ho- there. The hockey. <laughs> <laughs> well, we actually should get going. We're very late uh, for the thing that I made up arbitrarily to mark the end of this podcast. So uh, that's all the time we have. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you to Claire Tennisket, our producer, Jake Gorski, who made our theme music, Deirdre Depke, Sitara Nieves, and the entity known as Levi Sharp. We would really like to hear from you at our Twitter feed, that's at ActualityPod, or on email, that's mpqz at marketplace.org. We'll be back. Yeah. We could tell you at this point what our next episode is about. Would you like a hint? Yes. Sperm. It's true. (laughs) It's true. So well, we're going to swim into the Stop topic it. of. Stop it! <laughs> it's not that kind of show. 